Good evening, it's the Jam Session Radio Hour. It's your host, John Landis. Um, and tonight we have a very interesting discussion that we've had with uh, one of our local favorite musicians, John Ludlow, a young man who is um, as talented and uh, interesting as he is uh, uh, an avid uh, farmer and cheesemaker. Um, and we've been, we at the Jam Session have been very lucky to have known John for well over a decade. He's, he's uh, a lot of his jazz chops have been developed uh, while playing with the Jam Session at Bayburger um, and now uh, Jazz Night at the uh, uh, Masonic Temple uh, above the Whaling Museum in Sac Harbor. And uh, so that's a story in and of itself. And we talk a good bit in this interview about the Jam Session and what its uh, dimensions were and what its effect was on John's uh, life and training as a jazz musician and also his earlier training with Hal McCusick and, and some of the people that he worked with that, uh, that he played with that, uh, that came out of the Ross School and other, other mentees that, uh, that Hal McCusick and his fabled um, time there at the Ross School mentored um, in their jazz development. People like Tomas Majerski and, and uh, Max Felchu <clears throat> and uh, there are others that uh, John talks about, and I'll let him kind of go in and uh, go ahead and, and, and talk about all those things because it's a very interesting, very interesting set of uh, information that you'll get from John. So let's uh, let's enjoy the Jam Session Radio Hour as we hear an interview of John Ludlow. So we're here with John Ludlow on the Jam Session Radio Hour. Hey, John. Hey, John. How you doing? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for being on. And we are in uh, late April of uh, 2022. John's in uh, his home in Bridgehampton. And I, with a kind of a scratchy uh, um, voice, am in Key West. So through the miracles of modern technology, we're able to find out uh, uh, some more about what John's been up to and his his jazz. John, tell us... Um, I mean, we've known each other for a while, and you've known about the jam session, you know, the jam session for a while. Give us kind of a quick history of what you've done with the jam session, and that'll kind of plug us into what you've been doing, because that's going to cover most of your performing career. Yes. Um, I guess I first played at the jam session in, started in 2008, I think. I was an early participant, and it was a great chance to perform with uh, musicians, jazz musicians that think alike and um, excellent professionals that uh, and you get to connect with different people and through that leads to other gigs. And um, so it was a great opportunity from the beginning. And uh, now it's what, 14 years in and it's still going on. That's, that's, that's quite something because, so when you started with us, it was some of your first opportunities <laughs> playing and at that time, Hal McCusick, your one of your mentors, your chief mentor, he was still with us, right? He was, yeah, yeah. he was, and he was he was a big part of my upbringing, um, the major part. Uh, learned all the basics from him. Um, was told who to listen to, and developed really my whole style and all the knowledge I have from Hal. How did it happen that you started working with uh, with Mr. McCusick? So my brother was taking piano lessons. Now, he was a classical pianist. Um, not sure uh, what led him to how, but I was, I was playing piano, and I didn't want to play anymore. But my parents said, you have to play an instrument. So I chose the saxophone because of the gold 
curvy look of it, purely aesthetic. Um, so they knew because Pete was studying with them, um, they had the perfect teacher of saxophone. So that's how I got with Hal in 2000, I believe, uh, and studied with him for 12 years. So it was a large portion uh, of my life. Yeah. And, and so you, you grew up in Bridgehampton. I did. Always, you've always lived here. Yeah. Give us, you know, yeah, some quick background on, on your family and, and uh, what you guys do. So we are dairy farmers. So we have cows, we sell meat, we have pork, uh, sell turkeys at Thanksgiving. Um, so we've been doing that since 2003. Before that, it was potatoes. We're potato farmers. Um, but now we're doing uh, dairy and I'm a cheesemaker. So three days a week, I'm out there making cheese. And then the rest of the time, taking care of the cheese, brushing it, flipping it, and um, cutting and wrapping for markets. We do a lot of farmer's markets. I think we'll be doing 10 markets this summer. Uh, right now, we're doing three. Um, so it's now's the time. It's, it's a busy time uh, for us to get ready for the summer. So a little later on in the interview, I want to talk more about um, how you integrate those those two distinctly different things. Maybe they're not, <laughs> so different, but uh, I, I want to hear some about that. I mean, it, it's unusual for us to have somebody who's a homegrown, you know, Hamptons musician. Obviously, for jazz in the Hamptons, uh, the jam session in the Hamptons. Uh, jazz fest and are are some of the only um, things that uh, provide you guys an opportunity to to play. So we want to talk more about that. But right now, I want to talk more about um, you and also uh, the jam session. So I would say, you know, just from knowing, having been involved with Bayburger, was where the jam session started and had most of its history. And having known you there, that you probably played a, probably more than just about more than anybody. I mean, the only other person might be Morris Goldings or Cleus himself. You know, we're talking about maybe getting up between 60 and a hundred times, right. That you've, you know, I mean, even special guests, but also just showing up and playing. Yeah, it was, I feel like I was going every week in the beginning, uh, especially when there weren't other playing opportunities before I was really plugged in professionally playing gigs because it started for me before that in 2008, 2009, I wasn't, it's not like I was playing gigs that started 2013, maybe 2012, uh, where I was playing consistent gigs. So it was a, those first five years. Yeah. I was there a bunch, um, and, uh, very helpful in my development. Absolutely. Um, and then once you start to play more gigs and get up other opportunities, uh, I guess I didn't go as much, but in the beginning, I certainly was there quite a bit. For those who don't know uh, much about the, the jam session, which um, we're now calling the, ja the jazz night um, at uh, uh, the Masonic Temple in Sag Harbor above the Whaling Museum. But for those who don't really know what that was, describe it kind of from your point of view, what it was. So it is, um, well, it starts out with the, the house band, Clace and a bass player and a uh, pianist or guitarist. And um, they play basically a concert, an informal concert for an hour. And it's had different forms. I think in the beginning, I don't know if there was a concert. I don't remember the concert part. But now it's a, it's a concert. So they get to start it off and get it flowing. 
playing some tunes for an hour and then jammers that come up uh, that, that are around can come in and play join the second hour and you'll get to call a tune two tunes whatever um, play with other people you're playing with the house band which is always a top rate band um, so it's just a great opportunity to play with local musicians people from the city that Clay's hires um, uh, yeah it's just a great place to come together and play great opportunity so for you um and this being a really important part of your your development in your career for instance was how someone who would say to you john you just got to go out there and play or i mean you were encouraged to come out and and play was was, yeah. was, was hal a part of that encouragement did he ever come and hear you uh, absolutely yes hal came hal wanted me to go out and play and he actually great highlight in my career was in 2005 he was playing a fundraiser with his band uh, Don Friedman on piano, Mike McGurk on bass. And he had a few of us, a few of the students come and play, play a tune, which was a great uh, way to say, hey, come out. This is what happens. Play. Um, I played Stella by Starlight. I don't remember what happened on stage. I was very nervous. But uh, where was that? That was at Dorothy Lichtenstein's um, in 2005, I believe it was. Uh, it was a fundraiser for something. Private home. Private home. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that was very cool. Um, he also came to around the same time, maybe before that, the first place that I ever played publicly besides at my local church um, was Kipling's. I don't know if you know Kipling's. You remember that restaurant in Bridgehampton? Yeah. Uh, Jim Demitrak, the owner, would play guitar and sing with Ray Williams on bass. So they, that's one of my early exposures to jazz. Uh, I think I was going there before I knew how, and I just liked the sound of it. And they'd be playing jazz in the radio too. But Friday and Saturday, or at least one of those nights, they would have, they would be playing with the duo, Jim and Ray. Very exciting to hear that. And then they brought me up to play one time. Um, so it was advertised, a bunch of people that I know, came probably 60 people came and watched that wow. and that was a crazy night that was wild uh and then they invited me up a few more times and another time hal came with with his wife jan and uh watched and he was recognized in the crowd and uh that was special for him to come and hear me uh perform some people will know but a lot of won't just to i'll, I'll just give a little description of hal's career from what you know about it yeah, so Hal, at 18, joined the Les Brown band, I believe it was. And he from there, in the 1940s, 42 to um, 55, played with all the big bands. Uh, Boyd Rayburn, Claude Thornhill. He's on the original recording of uh, Night Tunisia. It was called Interlude when it was first recorded in 1994, 1944. Um, Dizzy Gillespie was in that band, uh, played with uh, Buddy Rich, Woody Herman. Um, and then he started to release his own albums in the 50s.
You're listening to WLIWFM in Southampton, New York, 88.3 on your dial, Long Island's only NPR station. And you can hear it at 96.9 as you go uh, west, um, 88.3 in Southampton. Also, WLIW.org slash radio. It's the Jam Session Radio Hour, and we're enjoying an interview of John Ludlow. So did you play when you were in college? I did. Yeah, I played... I played in the big band. Um, well, I went to Muhlenberg for two years uh, straight out of high school and then ended up going to City College um, more recently. And City College, I was there for music. Um, and that was a serious program. Uh, great ensembles, great teachers. The teachers, top rate. Really? Um, yeah. Um, uh, Ray Gallen, Mike Halber, Steve Wilson, this top players and um, educators, Scott Reeves. Um, so that was, yeah, I did play in ensembles there and that was a great time to, uh, go in the practice rooms with other musicians and just play for hours on end and really develop, uh, what I had learned through Hal, the jam session, um, other gigs, uh, and private instruction from other teachers that I had in college. Um, that was, that's what I think about when I think about that time, just playing for six hours in the practice room because everybody what, wants to play. What, what years were that? Was that that you were at city college? This is 13 to 17. Okay. Uh, around there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and were you living in the city then or you were um, traveling back and forth? Partially I, for a little bit, I was traveling uh, no more than two weeks at a time traveling uh back and forth that was rough there was a couple of weeks where I, I didn't have a place and i was traveling from home um but i also lived in harlem queens and brooklyn at different points through there much more convenient certainly so during that period of time most of the playing you were doing is as you described with other players in the practice rooms uh did you do any gigging around the city at that time some gigs in the city i i always came out here on the weekends because there, I had a steady gig on Shelter Island on the weekends, uh, I think for the first couple of years of school. Where was um, that? Sweet Tomatoes. Sweet Tomatoes on Shelter Island. Nice gig, I played, uh, it was a duo, and um, Dick Berkey would come and sit in. Um, and it was, so I didn't wanna lose any gigs that I had out here. I wanted to make sure I was still coming out here. Right. And in, in hindsight, I don't know if that was the right decision, you know, if maybe I should have stayed in the city and been uh, more immersed in that scene than coming out here. Uh, but who knows? Um, so. Well, there is, you know, um, there's still a lot of jazz out here and you're uh, you're obviously a big part of it. Tell us about how how it is that you went into jazz. Was it mostly because you started to study with how or you're already going in that direction? And was your brother going in that direction? So my brother was classical and he's been playing the organ at church since he was 12, I think. So he was not really in the jazz world, didn't care for it too much. Um, I always loved it. I didn't know it was going to be a profession until later on, because when I went to, out of high school when I went to Muhlenberg College I wasn't thinking 
I was going to be a jazz musician. I mean, it was important. I wanted to play in the ensembles and stuff, but uh, I guess it was shortly after that when I started playing gigs uh, where I realized, okay, I can do this. And um, what's better than playing music and making money doing it? Um, that's uh, why sometimes. Why jazz? I mean, your friends weren't listening to jazz or were they? <laughs> no, they weren't. Certainly not. Uh, why jazz? Um, that's a good question. Maybe it was some of those concerts you were talking about. What was that? Maybe it was some of those concerts you were talking about, like at the, you know, the church and, and yeah. That, yeah. That formative because you were young when you were going to some of those. Yeah. It was formative to hear that. And um, there's something about the swinging beat, the swing, you know, think of the drummer, the bass player walking with it the piano player comping, coming together, sharing that musical space. Nice. And, but, but it's improvisation. It's improvisation. Yeah. So that's special. It's very special. And, and, but just the main thing is the feel. I've always liked the feel of the swinging drums with the bass and comping and, right. and sax. It's just, I don't know. It's just, uh, right. I always liked it. So you talked about how, how acoustic was important in kind of helping you find a style. Uh, talk some more about that. Was it, were you, you know, affected a lot by his style or other people that he was introducing you to? Or, I mean, it sounds like from what you just described that you already had in your brain as a kid, what appealed to you. And maybe yeah. that comes out through the way you play too. Yeah. From, from hearing Hal, Hal's style was very unique, very smooth, velvety, um, but powerful at the same time. His tone. You can play one note, you know it's how. Um, I wanted that sound. I wanted that sound, absolutely. I don't know what he did in teaching me with the embouchure how to, how to play, uh, but I certainly tried to copy what he sounded like and would listen to all his recordings, listen to guys that I like the sound of, Paul Desmond, Stan Getz, Al Cohn, Zoot Sims, Charlie Parker, Lester Young. Um, but I was always listening to how he would always point me in the direction, other different directions to, to, um, you know, to try to expand my taste. But, but I really liked that sound and the way he played bebop uh, with an elegant way of phrasing and melody. It's right. just highly melodic playing, not too many notes. Uh, you make a statement and it hits you and you sit with it. Uh, and that's that's the kind of thing that I really liked tone and uh, melody. Uh, that's those are two main aspects that stuck with me. Um, of course, it's fun to play fast and all that, too. And, right. and that can certainly work in many uh, instances. Uh, but the main thing was that lyrical style. <laughs>
The Jam Session Radio Hour is supported by Bayard Fenwick as a sponsor and underwriter. As part of the Terry Cohen team, located at the East Hampton office of Saunders Real Estate, Bayard is well-versed in the residential real estate market from Bridgehampton to East Hampton to Amagansett to Montauk. Bayard believes there are three parts to the value of a property, land value, improvements made to the property, and an emotional component. You can reach Bayard Fenwick at the East Hampton office of Saunders Real Estate at 631-324-7575. That's 631-324-7575. The Jam Session Radio Hour is also supported by Oza Sabbath Architects of Bridgehampton, New York. Oza Sabbath Architects both designs and builds homes, believing that a well-designed home suffuses our lives with the essential elements of balancing and recharging. Oza Sabbath Architects can be reached at ozasabbath.com. That's O-Z-A-S-A-B-B-E-T-H.com and at 631-808-3036. That's 631-808-3036. You're listening to WLIWFM in Southampton, New York, 88.3 on your dial, Long Island's only NPR station. And you can hear it at 96.9 as you go uh, west. Um, 88.3 in Southampton. Also, WLIW.org slash radio. It's the Jam Session Radio Hour, and we're enjoying an interview of John Ludlow. When you're playing, like in the Jam Session, sessions that you played in with other horn players, especially other saxophone players, um, what's that like? What's that like when two different styles kind of come together? And of course, you know, with some of the regulars that we've had, uh, like Morris or Adaravati, people that you played with a lot, you get to know, I guess, their style and you get to know how to play with each other. But talk about that for a second. It's fascinating. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, uh, you don't know. In the beginning, you don't know how, you know, you see somebody up there, you don't know how they're going to play, and then they start playing and you start to realize uh, – their style and it doesn't really they can be a completely different style from what you do and it can still work uh in the scheme of the whole song um if somebody comes in blazing and goes out blazing maybe you come in uh understated that's a good contrast uh or you could match that intensity so many different styles can work together and then people like morris playing backgrounds, very interactive throughout the song. Even when you're not soloing, he's playing backgrounds and getting the horns together. Come on, let's, you know, let's play something behind this soloist. Uh, so everybody's got their own thing, what they do. Um, and it was, it's cool. It was cool, certainly in the beginning, to when I, before I knew them, uh, to see, and nerve-wracking, uh, but to, to see what they're going to do and, and how they play and uh, how you respond to that. How do you like the role of, you know, putting that stuff together? Um, you know, I'm sure there are some musicians that you work with and just assume not be bothered and they just want to play, but that the whole business side of it, does that, uh, is that okay for you? I don't mind it. I don't mind putting it together. Um, there are a lot of people you can call a lot of options. Um, uh, people you work with more than others. Sometimes you work with somebody, uh, you know, constantly throughout a year, and then you won't see them for five years. And then for whatever reason, you see them again for a while. 
it, it's funny how that works. I mean, uh, yeah, you go through stretches of playing with somebody a lot, not seeing them for a while, sporadically. Uh, it's just how it works. But the actual putting it together, um, inter interacting with the cli clients and giving them the options and everything, thats I don't mind that. Uh -huh. And will, will you often bring friends from the city? Or do you usually, when you say there are all those people you can call, you feel like there, there's a critical mass of people in the Hamptons that you can call on for most of the stuff you want to do? I like to call, use local musicians. Um, sometimes I, I do have some friends in the city who are fantastic as well, and I do use them sometimes. Um, but uh, there's some great musicians here too that I can call on. So it's, it's uh, um, either option really. Yeah. So how do you integrate the music that you're doing now with your role as a, as a, a cheesemaker and, and a farmer? Well, most, most music is played at night. Most gigs are at night. And although I do sometimes have to salt cheese or do something with the cheese at night, most of the work is done during the day. Uh, so it works out well. Um, if I have to play a gig during the day, I'll just schedule um, the cheese making or um, whatever I have to do around that, if possible. Um, but it's uh, jazz is more creative than cheese making. Cheese making can be creative, um, but I feel a pressure to create a constant quality product that takes away from the creativity because oh. I'm trying to create the same thing every time. Right. So, so it differs in, in that way. If, if there wasn't that pressure to create the same product, I could see um, experimenting more and then it'll be more like jazz. Okay. But, um, but right now it seems like there's, they're two distinctly different things. Right. 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 So um, one of the things we haven't talked about is the uh, Hamptons Jazz Fest, which uh, we mentioned, which is growing. And so you've, we've talked about the jam session, you're playing in the jam session, and today what we're calling, calling Jazz Night at the uh, uh, Masonic Temple above the um, Sag Harbor Whaling Museum. And that's a beautiful room, so that's kind of a plug, because you'll be playing there, and that's a jam, so you can just show up on Tuesday nights. Although sure. apparently you, know, you do a lot of stuff at Pierre's still. Um, on Tuesday nights, which is great. Both venues, Wednesday night at Barron's Cove. And then the Jazz Fest, which we started last year, we being, you know, the jam session as the producer. And you played one gig, you played at the Southampton Arts Center with Hector Martignon and the big band that he put together, which is what, like 18 pieces, I think, total? I think it was 18, yeah. yeah. It works. Sounds right. Um, yeah. Talk about that, because that's interesting, where a guy who mostly plays in the city, who's played all over the world, Hector, you know, who's a keyboard player and is a writer and, uh, you know, and, and puts together shows and all of that stuff. So he's had quite a bit of experience in yeah. doing that. Comes out and puts an orchestra together um, for one night, right? It was a great night. Mm. Talk about that night and talk about how it was put together and what that experience, is that experience typical? You know, it was like, oh, somebody just puts an 18 person band together, whoop. So, I got a call. I'm in the cheese room uh, at like three, four o'clock on the day of the gig. And I didn't know about the gig at this point, but I get a call. I get a call from uh, Ada Rovati, 
um, that Hector is looking for an alto player because uh, I believe the the main alto player that was scheduled to play was in a car accident. Um, so I'm thinking, well, I got this work to do. It's in summer and, and I'm really busy. And she says there's a rehearsal beforehand or a uh, uh, sound check. And I can't get this done and go to the sound check and, and play the gig. So I said, I can't, I don't think I can do the sound check. The, the gig was later on, which I would have been done with all the, the work right. that I had. Right. So, so Hector called me and I said, I'm sorry, I, re- I can't do the sound check. I could make the gig. I don't know if you want that. And he said, that's fine. That's fine. No problem. Thank you so much. So I go and you knew Hector. You had played with Hector before. I had played with Hector at the jam session. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so I get there and I'm looking through the music and this is, you know, tough music, really tough music. Uh, so I'm trying to work through some phrases. Everybody's done the sound check. They're all on the side hanging out and I'm on stage looking at the music, trying to run it through. And you're, um, there's nobody else doing that with right now. That's just you. Everybody that's else. That's just me. That's just me. Right. Just before the gig. Uh, and is Hector hanging around with you at that point or he's not there either? He was in and out. He came he and I talked to him and he said, thank you for coming. And uh, yeah. we chatted for a bit, but uh, I just wanted to get this music somewhat in my head. So I, you know, under my fingers uh, <laughs> looking at it. So uh, gig time comes. And I think the second number, the, the first alto player who was very helpful throughout the whole gig. And he seemed to like give signals and stuff. He kind of looks like he, he kind of ran it. Um, to some extent with the horn section. Um, So he says, you got a solo in this tune. And so I look and there's no changes. So this is a solo straight by ear. And uh, it it wasn't just in one tonality. It was going from, it was shifting to many different tonalities. So I would just hear one tonality, try to play in that, and then try to phrase it as like slowly enough, seamlessly enough in between each tonality, like here and then kind of play through here and kind of, and it worked out. Okay. I think I, I didn't hear it back. I don't know how it really sounded, but, uh-huh. but it was a, it was a rush to the feeling of not knowing what you're getting into. You got a soul, you know, you got to play. You have never heard the tune, never heard the changes. Don't have any changes in front of you. Uh, you just got, you got to go. Uh-huh. It was a thrill, thrill to do that. And, um, I hope it turned out okay. Yeah. And Hector was happy. It was a good night, right? Great night. A lot yeah. of energy. Big crowd. Um, Randy yeah. Brecker was there. Randy Brecker didn't play, but he was there. Randy was there. Yeah. Uh, a lot of musicians who I had recognized through social media in the city. Um, so these are, these are top musicians from the city uh, in the band coming out to play. And um, yeah, it was a great night. Great who night. Just so Otto was local. Otto Ravati. Who else yep. besides yourself and Otto? Oh, I think that's it. Yeah. I think that's it. Everybody uh, else in the city. Everyone else came out that day, I believe. Yeah. And Otto yeah. had solos too. Otto had solos. Yep. Yeah. Great solos. Yeah. It was a beautiful night. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's the kind of thing that the Hamptons Jazz Fest can do. Obviously, you know, not pull. <laughs> stuff together in one afternoon or one evening. <laughs> Hector's a yeah. pro, right? He's put stuff together. And was it good to work with him? He knew what he was doing? Oh, yeah. He knew what he was doing. And his music, 
uh, is really interesting. Really interesting. Uh, Latin swing uh, based. Um, so yeah, it was fun to play those charts and to be thrown into the fire um, is scary, but fun as well. If you uh, stand up to the flames and, and uh, work through it well. Uh, what would so. you do if somebody came to you and, and said, you know, maybe this is more, I, I don't know how things are put together these days, but like, Hey man, like I'm putting this band together. We're going to travel around the world. The pandemic's over largely. We've got this opportunity. We've got these great gigs, but you're going to be gone for a year. Uh, but then, and they were like musicians that you loved. Was yeah. 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 I would be tempted. I, the thing is that would, with the, with the business here. Yeah. We don't want uh, you to hear this part of the interview. Was that? We don't want your parents to hear this part of the interview. Yeah. I think my mom's right over there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, close your ears. Hi, Stacy. Um, <laughs> uh, it would be tempting to say the least. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to yeah. go for a year and tour, um, it would be tempting, but I, I would have to figure it out because I couldn't leave. I don't want my dad to, to pick up the slack of course. and start making it. You know, so rather than making it personal, is that the way things are often happening for people who do what you do that they just, you know, I mean, I, I, I interviewed Essiet Essiet and it seems, and he's a great bass player, right? But all he does is travel, you know, at least mm. for a good portion of his life. And that guy plays the bass. I mean, it's you just mm. traveling around with this gigantic, yeah. which yeah. I guess has kind of changed because, you know, his big bass, he has one in Europe and he has one here. So when he goes to oh. Europe, he plays one there. But he also has started to travel with one of these, you know, smaller bases that I don't know if it's electric or what, but you know mm. what I'm talking about. And those are easier, yeah. easier to travel with. But like one of his bases got really badly um uh, you know, messed up traveling. And then he said, when you go to different locations and you, you know, you, you get, uh, and the place is rented a base for you to play. They're always terrible, you know, mm. and, you know, really not in good shape anyway. That's just, but I remember talking to him and thinking, wow, man, you've just made a whole life on the road. I can imagine. Yeah. You have to play different bases and your, uh, bases getting ruined in transport. I, I guess if I had to go on tour, I would, use a backup or buy a i don't know i mean you want to play something that you enjoy playing so that would be tough but i would no, not I, take played with at city college i mean we think about them and that you were jamming with a lot have most of them gone into state in their profession yeah yeah i well it seems like i see on social media and talk to a few friends who are Yes, they're in the profession. Yeah, quite a few are yeah. making it. It seems, I mean, they're still doing it. So, yeah. Right. right. Uh, yeah. And um, to some degree on the road, presumably, right? I mean, yeah, one of my friends is on a cruise ship. New York, different cities. Yeah. Um, what are some of the hot cities now? I mean, the pandemic has changed everything, but New York still, but a lot of the clubs have closed, right? I don't really know the scene in New York. I haven't been in there since yeah. I've been in once since, since uh, COVID. Um, and I played uptown. Uh, but I see there's still Mesro Smalls. Um, I don't right. know if the Vanguard is the Vanguard closed. Yeah, there are a lot of hurting places. Um, I don't know what's happened since if they've been. Down, down here in Key West. 
And just like New Orleans, you know, Key West is known for music and there's music mm-hmm. everywhere. I mean, I went to breakfast the other morning. The other morning there was live music. It's like yeah, breakfast day. Play eight to eleven. What do you mean eight a.m. to eleven a.m.? <laughs> wow, I've never heard of a breakfast gig. Nice. Um, but, you know, it's a singer songwriter type thing. But I, my point is that uh, there's a lot of music down here, but there's no hardly any jazz. I mean, hardly any jazz. Yeah, you find it in church. Yeah. Yeah. But um, and then the guys who play in church, the people who play in church, then maybe they'll line up something else. But there's not enough. And I think one of the nice things about what's happening in the Hamptons and, you know, for whatever factors that have come together to make this happen is that there is, you know, there is there are opportunities for you to find other musicians and for you to play gigs and still have another job helping out your family and doing what you're doing. And and then making the U.S. open. (laughs) Making the U.S. open. That's yeah. yeah, it comes to Shinnecock in 2026. So I got was that right? Years, oh four man, four years to practice hard. Coming back to Shinnecock, which is where it was. What 2018? So that's pretty. Yeah. Only eight years in between, and then right. they had it in 04 and 95 yeah. and 86. And that was amazing. And you went. Yeah. You went then, right? You went to Shinnecock, and I went to 04 and and 18. Yeah. Yeah. And how, saw Tiger. how many times did you go in 18? In 18, I went two or three days. Who you, Did you follow days. just a couple people in particular? Who did I follow? I don't even remember. Mm. I saw a tiger. I was trying to, I was trying to get close to Tiger. He was right. on the putting green. Right. And um, I don't know if he was just out for a while because uh, he's had a lot of comebacks and injuries. Um, but, yeah, so I, I saw a tiger. I sat down for a while just on the uh, – what behind the ninth green, I believe it was, but I generally follow. I like to walk and follow a player. I like, yeah. On a practice round, I followed Mark Leishman for a bit, uh, but yeah, I switch it up, walk, sit for a little bit, go back and walk. Uh, yeah. Well, I want to thank you, John. This has really been um, fascinating. <laughs> it's exactly what I was hoping for. I wanted to get to your kind of you know, vision as a younger person in va- in jazz in the Hamptons of what it's been like. Your career is, is obviously just, you know, taking off. It's such a pleasure to hear you play. Uh, Thanks, always, always is, you know, and um, just keep it going. Uh, kudos to you and your family. Yeah, fun. thanks, John. It was my, my pleasure. I enjoyed doing it. And thanks for having me on the show. Appreciate it. Yeah. All right, John, you take care of yourself, bud. Okay. All right. You All too. Right. Bye-bye. All right, bye. Thanks for joining us on WLIWFM, 88.3 in Southampton, New York, 96.9 as you go west, and and, uh, WLIW dot slash, um, I'm sorry, WLIW dot ORG slash radio if you're listening online. Um, We come to you every Sunday night at 8 o'clock. Um, there are a lot of uh, podcast interviews that you can access if you'd like that are on the WLIW uh, FM website or on other platforms. Um, uh, we invite you to uh, continue to enjoy those and continue to be with us on Sunday nights at 8 p.m. on the Jam Session Radio Hour. So a little bit more about John. Uh, I think you've learned a lot in this uh, interview, but uh, one of the things that I wanted to uh, mentioned was all the, the 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 great players that he's played with over the years with the jam session. Uh, people like 
you know, Randy Brecker and Alex Sipiagin and, and Morris Goldberg and, and uh, Oscar Feldman and Hector Martignon and uh, um, great guitar players and, and other horn players. And, um, you know, John has, he's, he's a real student, as you can tell, of, of the genre of jazz. And the other thing I want to mention is his family. He's just a great family. Uh, he talks a bit about, you know, the farming and the cheese making that he does now. This is a farm in in, uh, in the Hamptons, in, in Bridgehampton, that uh, has been farming uh, since the 19th century. And, uh, you know, several generations. Uh, and we're just so happy to have Meacock's Bay cheeses and... Uh, um, Meacox farm cheeses, I should say, and 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 just have them having them as members of the community. Art and Stacy Ludlow are just the best. Uh, their son Pete, their son John, um, and the fact that John has come out of this milieu, still stays in it, still stays with us in the Hamptons, and brings us so much talent and jazz is just one of the real blessings that we have um, in our uh, you know in our in our jazz experience in the Hamptons. So thank you, John. Thank you, uh, Stacy and Art and Pete, and, uh, for being who you are and for bringing us all that you can. Um, and, you know, and, uh, this, and, and, and um, we appreciate that all so much. Um, we want to thank WLIW for carrying our show. We want to thank um, uh, obviously Rafael Alvarez for the great work that he does and, and recording and putting the show together to Claes Brandal for uh, acting as our music director um, for our underwriters Oza Sabbath Architects and uh, Bayard Fenwick III um, and thanks to all those who are involved with the jam session or the Hamptons Jazz Fest we'll talk about that more as things develop we got a good chance to talk about it to some degree in this interview thanks for being with us um, be good to each other, stay well, uh, and we'll catch you next time in the Jam Session Radio Hour. Good night.